This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. No my Heidi my. Welcome to Cult Chat, where we talk about control, coercion, and all things cultish. I'm Dr. Caroline Ansley. I'm a medical doctor. As a child, I lived at the notorious Centrepoint community, and now I run a website that advocates for former Centrepoint children. I'm Liz Gregory, and I lead the Gloryvale Leavers Support Trust. I've spent the last decade helping people exit Gloryvale and journeying with them and building new lives. I'm Lindy Jacob. I'm a former member of the Exclusive Brethren, and I'm part of the Olive Leaf Network, an initiative that supports people leaving high-demand religious groups. Come with us as we unpack the cult playbook, talk to leavers and experts of coercive and controlling groups, and call for Kiwis to cult-proof their lives. Join us as we traverse the cultiverse. A warning, this podcast contains references to subjects and discussions which may be difficult for some people to hear. Please take care of yourselves and your whānau when listening. Welcome back to Cult Chat. Good to have you along, ladies. We've got Kaz here and Lindy. Hey, Hi. nice to see you. Kia ora. Excellent. You'll remember last time that we finished up with an interview that Lindy did with Rachel Jackson and Shane Meacham, and they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, they were, and now they're watching with interest as the Jehovah Witnesses have gone to the High Court trying to get their way out of being participants in the Royal Commission of Inquiry into Abuse and Care. Now, that's uh, something that's been going on for a number of years in New Zealand. The report is coming out soon, and here we have, sort of on the eve of these reports being delivered, uh, um, a group contesting their involvement, which is always a bit of a concern and a question mark. Uh, Why wouldn't you want to find out how your organisation can better safeguard children. You know, why don't you want to know? So that's of of concern. And so um, Lindy is going to continue her interview with Rachel and Shane. And at the end of that, we're going to have a discussion on their points of doctrine from the first episode and then look at the High Court issues in part two. So a warm welcome to Shane and Rachel, who are former Jehovah's Witnesses, who are joining me today to continue the second part of our discussion into a case currently before the High Court of New Zealand, where the Jehovah's Witnesses of New Zealand are seeking to be exempt from the Royal Commission of Inquiry into Abuse and Care. Welcome, Shane. Welcome, Rachel. Good to see you again. So, a quick recap for our listeners who are not familiar. The Royal Commission of Inquiry into Abuse and Care was a royal commission that was established in 2018 by the New Zealand government to inquire into and report on sponsors by institutions to allegations of abuse in state care and in faith-based care. So, one of the tricky things about this current commission of inquiry was that initially it was only specified to be uh, investigating abuse in state-based care. But just a few months passed before, and and faith-based groups or or people who had been abused by faith-based groups or within them lobbied the government to make sure that faith-based institutions were included as well as state-based 
um, state-based groups. So, yeah, so there was a bit of change and a bit of, um, you know, shifting of shifting of some of the scope right from the get-go, which as Butler, the lawyer for the Royal Commission, argued in High Court, he said it's very normal for a, a Royal Commission of Inquiry to adapt and amend its terms of reference and its scope as it goes along and as it gets new information. So that's not too um, controversial in itself. But as the months and the years of the inquiry have gone on, there have been a few sort of bits of controversy that have popped up. So Shane, would you like to talk to us a brief overview about what you know, the background, what is Minute 16 or what is the controversy here about care and the def- definitions of care? In, in the JW eyes, they're getting a little bit upset, well, I suppose a bit of a big bit of upset <laughs> that they don't have schools, they don't have hospitals, they don't have kindergartens that look after children. What they do have is... And they're even arguing this in the court case that there's no, well, put it this way, they have a policy. This is how they act, and that's how they act. But if you were to look for those policies, you can't find them. Are you talking about policies that relate to how they care for children in particular? Or what sort of policies are you talking about? Yeah, in, in regards to looking after children. Just, just to add to what Shane has said, they did, for example, claim in the media, the Jehovah's Witnesses, that there was a policy for parents not to put their children in the care of uh, elders. But as far as I'm aware, no such policy exists. And actually, I remember the judge almost snorted at one point. They were arguing that they had safeguarding policies in place and this sort of thing because the judge just snorted a bit and said, oh, well, I'm sure the Catholic Church has got policies against child abuse as well, and yet it doesn't stop it happening, does it? Can I just add something to that? So they do say they have a, a safeguarding policy. Right. But when you have a look at that supposed policy, there is no safeguarding of children policy. It means very little when it comes to mm-hmm. safeguarding the children. So while they can claim it, you look at the wording and you're going, well, where's the safeguarding of children coming into it? Right. So basically it, it doesn't exist. Well, they call it a a, um, a scriptural position on child right. safeguarding, which they now publish on their website very obscurely, and it's really very unhelpful. What it, it compiles a number of references from different Watchtower magazines going back over decades And they call that a policy. So going back to the Royal Commission, the Royal Commission's job is to was to investigate historic allegations of abuse, Mm -hmm. but as well as that, it was to investigate institutions' responses to that abuse. So that's why things like policy and that are of interest. But anyway, in so the Royal Commission operates by terms of reference, which has got a number of definitions that it abides by, and that included includes definitions of care. Now, in January 2022, so several years after the Commission was already underway, minute number 16 was added to the terms of reference to clarify them. 
So I've got this document in front of me, Minute 16, because it's several pages long. It's freely available on um, the Royal Commission of Inquiry's website. And I'm going to bring it up and I'm going to read some key points out of it because it's of quite a bit of relevance to our discussion here. So here we go. Minute number 16 of Faith-Based Care. This was released in January 2022. And this was only a month ago reaffirmed publicly by the Royal Commission in September 23, reaffirmed as being, you know, something that they were still operating by. So in minute 16, it gives a quick introduction and a purpose, reminding the reader that the terms of reference require it to examine abuse of children, young persons and vulnerable adults in state care, as well as in the care of faith-based institutions. And it notes some faith-based institutions have queried the scope of the phrase in care. So the purpose of this minute is to explain the inquiry's interpretation of that phrase. So the concept in the concept of care and of being in care, it's got a number of paragraphs here where it dissects in greater detail what care means. And it's especially looking at clause number 17.4. So I won't read it all today, but I I'll put it in the show notes so that the interested listener can look it up. But it says, for the avoidance of doubt, uh, for the avoidance of doubt, care provided by faith-based institutions excludes fully private settings, except where the person was also in the care of a faith-based institution. So it's just trying to do a little, it's doing, you know, a bit of fine-tuning there where when a person was in the care of state as well as faith based places and it says care settings might be residential or non-residential might provide voluntary or non-voluntary care um it might the inquiry might consider abuse that occurred outside a particular institution's premises as it's not the inquiry is not limited to one particular faith or religion or denomination they're, they're just faith-based considered faith-based if their purpose or activity is connected to a religious or spiritual belief setting and then I think a couple of the things that are really where it really drills in to what the JWs are contesting is that it says things like um, care is not confined to formal institutions or care programs or locations. It might be might have been irregular or temporary or transitional care. And it says that the inquiry can consider the conduct of representatives. Members, associates, volunteers, service providers, or others. It does not require persons to be paid or formally titled or to meet other set criteria. So the terms are really, really broad. Is that how hmm. you do it? Yes. Well, I, I guess the, the whole intent of the Royal Commission was to find the extent and nature of of abuse of children and vulnerable adults so that would require having those widened or clarified terms of reference wouldn't it yes yes i mean point point number 13 of this minute 16 says that a range of care relationships may fall within the scope of the inquiry yeah. And in point number 15 is of particular interest. It says a care relationship may arise in many pastoral care situations. And it goes on to say, and these were key terms that were just debated in the, in the High Court last week. It says, for example, those with authority or power 
conferred by a faith-based institution might assume a trust-based relationship with a child or a vulnerable adult. So those are key terms. Those with authority or power who have been given that authority or power by a faith-based institution, that they can be investigated. And the Jehovah's Witnesses were contesting that quite strenuously, I thought. They were trying to see arguments, was that they said it's not the JWs that have conferred authority and power to an adult, it's that parents have have given their child into the care. Yeah, they, I remember one of the lawyers for the, the Jehovah's Witnesses saying that parental autonomy is one of the fundamental tenets of the religion. And I thought, really? <laughs> yes, yes, it was. They were trying to locate responsibility for children or vulnerable other adults with parents or within the family. Solely on the parent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they really, they did not agree with the fact that they talked about there being a reliance on um, the status of elder. Like we would argue that the trust relationship with an elder is reliant upon their status as an elder. Yes. Because the, the institution depicts elders as being men who have been appointed by Holy Spirit. They're capable, qualified to teach. They have all these Christian qualities. Um, They are trustworthy. You are meant to obey them, not question them. So because, uh, so so the trust relationship comes really from what the institution has has said. Members. Point fifteen goes on to say that it says where where a relationship is related to the institution's work or it's enabled through the institution's conferral of authority, then it says the child or vulnerable adult may be properly described as being in the care of the faith-based institution. So, yeah, the Royal Commission is saying that this type of setting, when the institution has conferred authority onto a leader, then that child or vulnerable adult is in the care of the faith-based institution. And they give examples. They say Bible study groups, Sunday school, day trips, errands, pastoral and spiritual direction is included in there, which we'll come back to that later because it's quite interesting. It it might include mentoring, training, and counselling in groups or individually. And then point 16 is really interesting. It says, as a result of their authority, members of or those who are working for faith-based institutions who exercise a pastoral care role may have significant influence over an individual, a whānau, family, or other group's identity, beliefs, and life choices. It finishes with this key line. It says a pastoral relationship is therefore commonly one of trust and vulnerability. Yes, yes. So the Royal Commission is saying these relationships of care even though it's not it's not a formal contract and some it might not involve a physical location, the Royal Commission is arguing that these relationships and religious entities are relationships where there is power, there's authority, there's trust, and there's vulnerability. Mm, it's exactly, and I don't think the Jehovah's Witnesses are really understanding that, let alone accept it, because the judge talked about the presumed 
actually, I do recall the one of the lawyers for the Jehovah's Witnesses saying to, to make a finding of abuse and care, there would have to be on the Jehovah's Witnesses part, there'd have to be presumption, they'd have to assume responsibility of care, I should yeah. say. So you mean in a formal sense? Yeah. That, yes. Yes, and just because the Jehovah's Witnesses say, oh, we haven't assumed responsibility of care, you know, like they haven't put it in writing somewhere, yeah. oh, we assume responsibility of care. The yeah. judge was saying that the relationship that exists between the the elders and the members demonstrates responsibility for care. Yes. So it's, I think it's kind of what you were saying. Yeah, yeah, that there yeah. there is a relationship of care here. Yeah. Just because they say they don't assume responsibility for care doesn't mean there isn't. Yeah. Yes, so would either one of you like to give a quick recap on what you think the key things were? So that's, you know, that's the scope of the Royal Commission of Inquiry that's that's happening. That's, you know, their little their little clarification in January 2022, which was reaffirmed just last month in September 23, that, that affirms the scope and their intent, which is clearly to include investigation into faith-based institutions and their relationships of care. Hopefully our listeners wrap their head around that. But in your minds, can you give us a summary of what you think the J-dubs are contesting and, and what some of their key reasons were? Well, they're saying that for one thing, they don't have children and vulnerable adults in their care, and they don't. They they also say that we haven't had any abuse, and they also say we don't assume responsibility for care, as well. <laughs> so kind of a threefold thing. You're you're right. Those are some of the key things. Did I have it right that the the lawyer acting for the Jehovah Witnesses stood up and said that she had I think 17 points to go through of points of contesting. And then the judge said something about, goodness me, you know, if you've got 17 points, it it looks like you're trying to deliberately obfuscate things. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, the judge, surely you can't boil it down to three or four key things, which they then then sort of did group those. Shane, would you want to? They got down to about nine, didn't they, or something like that? just, Just going back a few steps. The J-dubs actually raised the question early on. They went back. There was two groups, or one individual and one group. The group was the J-dub institution, um, and the other was a cleric. Those two individuals questioned Minute 16. Okay, you mean back in 2022? No, further back than that. So going right back to the very start when it first came out, they did very little from that point on to bring it up because even during the court case they did ask why have you left it so late so there's evidence there's an email trail of the j-dubs questioning the commission into minute 16 right along they've not agreed with anything well i shouldn't say anything but there's things that they haven't agreed with so is the suggestion shane that they've they may have deliberately left it this late to delay the findings being reported. Well, I guess the listeners and ourselves can work, work that out because if you delay it long enough, so the actual copy needs to get to the minister by the end of November. So if they delay mm-hmm. it long enough and they don't have an answer, how can they be included in the report? 
The commission knew back then, 2018, 2019, that the J had questioned that fact. And yet very little was taken, not only by the J but also the on the side of the commission, because they thought they had it covered. But unfortunately, we've seen in the court case, they didn't have it totally covered. Yeah, there's all sort of there's all sorts of overlapping threads of things going on, isn't there? Like I, yep. I think it was in March 2022, so not long after Minute 16 was affirmed, um, that the Royal Commission publicly put on their website, they, you know, made a formal notification about some of the faith-based groups that were being investigated. And they specifically said that, you know, the scope had been widened from Catholic and Anglican churches to include a bunch of other Protestant faith-based groups, they called them. And this included the Salvation Army and the Presbyterians and and a number of others. And then they they said they said something quite interesting that proved to be controversial. They had there on their website, they said that this also includes three closed communities. And they listed the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, and Gloria Vale. And I remember reading this and being fascinated because I I thought, look at that. The Royal Commission themselves have named these three religious groups as being closed communities. And I went back like a month or so later, not very long later, to have another read of it. And lo and behold, the wording had mysteriously disappeared. And, And it just listed the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church and the Glory Vale. And it didn't say this closed community terminology anymore. And so I was fascinated. I never could find out what happened to it, but I was fascinated to hear during the high court hearing this came up numerous times because the Jehovah's Witnesses were using it as evidence in their eyes that they had been unfairly targeted and they had taken offence to being called a closed community. And so then there was a bit of a discussion back and forth, wasn't there, where the judge said, well, you know, if you do have pervasive influence over every area of your members' lives, arguably you are a closed community. <laughs> they, they were disagreeing with that. But Can you I want just to- add something about, about that, you know, on the discrimination uh, claim that they made? Mr Butler, you know, speaking for the Attorney General, made it clear that various religious groups weren't specifically selected to be part of the Royal Commission, but that abuse survivors from every religion in New Zealand were invited to make a claim, you know, to bring forward a complaint to the Commission. So nobody was excluded from it. That's but right. they they investigated the most troublesome ones, that which were called the top eight. And those ones were, um, all of them had had survivors come forward and give testimony about them, is what I understand. And so that's why they were included. That's right. And, and he, yes, he actually went through the criteria by which they decided which ones would be investigated. Jehovah's Witnesses were among that top eight, as were that was Gloria Vale and Plymouth Brethren. So, yeah. and it was not just the, the number of complaints that they had, but other information that they had got from overseas, various reports from overseas, and other things that gave them, you know, grave causes for concern. That's how they came to arrive at their top eight. The Jehovah's Witnesses somehow had thought that they were specifically selected from among all the 600-odd uh, religions in New Zealand, which wasn't the case. Which wasn't the case. They just followed the evidence. The, the, the commission just, they had the complaints 
they found out information and decided to include them in their top eight. Well, probably the key argument that was put forward, or one of the most key arguments that was put forward by the lawyer acting for the JWs, was that they do not provide care. And as you mentioned, that was because they don't operate things such as holiday camps or Sunday school or orphanages or, or whatever. But I was quite amused at one point because, yeah, at one point when the judge was querying this and asking, well, what about the, you know, the judicial committees and the elders? What do they do? What do you call that then? And the lawyer for the JW said, well, that's spiritual guidance, not care. And, yes. I, and I think the judge, oh. the judge said, well, isn't, isn't that just semantics? Yes. Uh, there was another point that I that got a a little bit of a laugh out of me. As a, as a former elder, what did you think of that argument that you weren't really providing care as such, you were providing spiritual guidance and that they were different things? Well, I can really only speak about myself and not any other elder, but I do know elders did care for the individuals. We were always taught to care for these fatherless kids non-J-Dub parent sort of things. We were there to look after them, mm. to do what we could do to help them to cope with different things. Now, while admittedly we did use the, the Bible to do that, most elders, and there's some very, very loving elders in the J-Dubs who are lovely people, I just have to laugh because they'd be going, but that's what we do. Overseas, like they're calling J-Dub elders part-timers now. When you're an elder, you don't do things part-time. You care, If you get a phone call at one o'clock in the morning, you care so <laughs> much that you'll go and visit, you'll go and help, you'll, you'll do what you can to be able to help the J-Dub that's, you're meant to be looking after. You're meant to be like the shepherd, the flock of God book says, you're meant to be able to help them. So to just I'm called twenty four seven, aren't you, Shane? Yeah, you, you definitely are. Like there was plenty of times when I would get a phone call, um, and I would go. Now, if they weren't in the care as a congregation out, why would I bother getting up out of bed at one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning unless I cared? I tell you what, too. El like I was saying, elders are never off duty. For example, if an elder saw somebody. Like three in the morning, saw a Jehovah's Witness smoking a cigarette cigarette outside a club in the city. They they've got their elder hat on at that time in the morning, and they will be speaking to that person the next day. Mm -hmm. And so, possibly so that person could find themselves in a judicial committee meeting at some point. Can so, I just share that? I was that point that I that sort of went out of my brain. It was where the Basically, the lawyers for the Jehovah's Witnesses were saying that the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the elders had no duty of care <laughs> for the for the congregants, and so the the judge she interrupted and said, "You do know that duty of care in in tort law originated from Christianity, as in love your neighbour." So I've just noted that no duty of care doesn't apply to JWs, uh, <laughs> says the lawyer. Right, so the lawyer was saying that's sort of ironic. Uh, you're arguing that yeah, it's a bit ironic, yeah. And you're Christian, that's right? Exactly. You're not, you're not doing what supposedly Jesus said to do with love your well, neighbor. Funny that the judge pointed this out uh, to the JW's lawyer. I thought another really interesting thing um, that the JW's are arguing with that 
in instances instances of abuse, they were saying that, um, and when it was by, you know, an elder, they were saying, well, the elder was a family friend as well. And they were Mm -hmm. saying the abuse happened in the context of the person being a family friend rather than being an elder, which, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you you know, you can, uh, again, it comes back a little bit to what I was saying before, like an elder could be at a social event with family and friends and just relaxing. But at all times, he's supposed to be a model for everyone else. He's supposed to teach everyone else by his example how they should behave. And again, if he saw a family member committing a sin, he's not off duty. He will have to deal with it as an elder. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, so that's a, that was an interesting argument that, um, again, Butler acting on behalf of the Attorney General did push back on as well. And, and Butler also said, like, like we're not, he said, we're not on the on the religious discrimination thing. He said, he said, just because there's religious freedom laws in New Zealand doesn't mean that we can't be free to criticise religious belief or practice, which I thought was really interesting because sometimes it can feel a bit like pearl clutching where these religious entities, as soon as they get held to account or challenged about something, it's easy for them Mm. to say, hey, don't you touch my religious freedoms. How dare you criticise me? Whereas Butler was saying, well, no, you know, we are allowed to still criticise. But at the same time, at the same time, he was assuring them that they are not criticising their faith, but he stressed that the way they are handling abuse is just not adequate. It's not cutting it, you know. So he wasn't saying, oh, you're bad, evil people, you you know, no. you're not doing it right, but you need help. Yes, and the judge said at one point, why wouldn't a, a religious entity be happy to be investigated with the end view of, of making sure that, you know, they, they were as safe as possible? And by, by resisting the help, they're just hurting their reputation mm-hmm. and they're not helping children. Yes. not protecting them, that's real. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, so the outcome is yet to be determined and we we're waiting to see, but one of the one of the things that I mentioned in the last podcast and um I want to say it again is that the consequences of whatever the judge decides here. Butler said it this way, he said the consequences of the Jehovah's Witnesses being included are minimal, but the consequences of them being removed have significant ramifications. Yep. Very well summed up, yeah. Yeah, it was well summed up. And so we wait to see, and we have definitely got our fingers crossed that the judge and all the relevant parties realise how significant this decision is, not only for the Jehovah's Witness congregation, but for many other faith-based institutions that are currently under investigation, as well as that it does set precedents going forward for any future Royal Commission of Inquiry that Aotearoa might set up for investigation of anything. Mm. I'm very glad you mentioned that, Lindy. Because, hey, we all want a, a safer New Zealand, a country... Yeah, a country where things can be in a country where things can be investigated and open to the public and held to account. And so, yeah, let's hope that the right decision is made here. And in my view, the right decision is one that has got care and protection for children and vulnerable people at the center of it, not care for and protection of any certain entities reputational assets 
it's got to be that care of of the vulnerable. That I agree one hundred percent. Well, is there any final things that either of you would like to say, or shall we wrap it up there? Well, I think you've done a very nice job of uh, wrapping it up. <laughs> and I would second that. Some very, very, very good points, Lindy. Fantastic. Well, Shane and Rachel, thank you again for joining us and sharing your your you know hard won your 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 experience and insights. That's come at quite a bit of a cost to both of you personally. Let's chat again when the outcome is released from the High Court and let's chat again and and, um, we'll sort of wait with bated breath to see what the outcome is. It sounds like a great idea. See you later. Okay, welcome back, friends. So what what did you guys, what stood out to you from that interview? Lots of stuff. Uh, The number of times that Shane said flip-flop. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> flip flop, um, flip flop. One, yeah. yeah. I don't think an organisation that has got how many million international um, followers should be changing their basic ideologies and doctrine in a flip floppy way. I mean, you don't know what you're following. You certainly didn't agree to it when you signed up. If there's flip flopping of major doctrine, that to me is very concerning. You know, if I if I join up to something, mm. I want to know what I'm joining up to and not have it change slowly, move away from that thing I joined up to over time. Yeah, I get that. I can see that you might want to change in a positive way, but the concept of flip-flop means you then actually go back to the original Mm. and then you're back, yeah. And so I think there is some um, instability. But like they said, it doesn't matter. You, what you signed up to was to agree to what the leaders and the elders said. Mm. That hasn't changed. No, it hasn't, because you, <laughs> right. you have a direct line to God to justify any changes, yeah. haven't yeah. you? Exactly. Yeah. And so, that, that concept yeah. of it being new light, so it's packaged as being, oh, the Lord has yeah, given us greater light, although, as Rachel said, it's more like the light's being dimmed and turned off and then turned back on. Like, it's, yeah, it's not exactly progressively getting brighter and brighter. No. Yeah. Now, and also the idea that this is people's lives. Like, um, I mentioned it earlier in the first episode, that the, the medical blood transfusion oh. thing is the thing that, that I see and I feel and I, you know, really, really bothers me. Um, it's people's lives if, in 1982... Kids with leukaemia couldn't get blood transfusions, but they can now. Well, my kid died, you know, not my actual kid. Yeah. But if, if I was a, a, a JW, you know, like, mm-hmm. or, or, or my my oh. my wife died in childbirth mm-hmm. because she had a postpartum hemorrhage and couldn't receive mm-hmm. blood products. I mean, that's... Yeah, that, those are really, really big things, and you're right. I know that um, in the Exclusive Brethren... The, the group that I came from, there were things like that. You know, I, I, I can remember the leader sort of shouting in a meeting, we'll never ever have fax machines and, and other forms of um, technological device. And only a couple of years later, completely changing and internationally rolling out uh, the use of technology for members and really hard for especially older members who had had children kicked out mm. because they'd listened to a radio once mm. Mm. or, you know, people got in trouble for stopping to watch Princess Diana get married on TV in the shop and TVs and shops. You know, people got kicked out or disciplined mm. for minor mm. use of technology like that. And then that only a decade later mm. it changes and everyone's got it. It's got very real these flip flops, as you say, have got very real world mm. implications for people's lives. And especially if it means that it's making something worthy of church discipline or not. 
Yeah, huge harsh impact. consequences. Yeah, harsh, very, yeah. very harsh consequences yeah. for something that later on is just no longer yeah. part of the revelation. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. devastating because what you've got joining these kind of groups are generally people who are joining a group that they think is going to be beneficial. For you know, for their lives or healthy, and what a devastation it must be to come to a realisation that perhaps the leaders of this group weren't the vessel of God that they promised they were, that the fruit of this group is not as great. I mean, um, you heard Shane there, he was an elder and he really didn't, he didn't know, he hadn't been kept aware of sort of child abuse things that might have been going on. It's like a, it's like a, this double insult in, mm. in, in some ways. He's now looking at it from an elder's perspective, having left this devastation on children, and now they're turning around and fighting out in the public square, saying, well, we don't, well, A, we probably don't have any abuse here, and B, if we do, it's certainly not your business for the scope of this inquiry. Gosh, that's quite devastating for your faith in a leadership team. What about those people still fellowshipping with the Jehovah Witnesses? What are they thinking? Well, that's a good this? question because, and there were quite a number of them had turned up to the High Court to support, okay. which, you know, you can tell by the way they dress and that the women are very modest and demure in their clothing and um, the men often wear suits and ties and that sort of thing. So a bunch of them had, had come along and I, I did, I really, you know, I sat next to some of them and, and smiled and said hello to some of them and that sort of thing and I was sitting there thinking, <laughs> this is so bizarre because they viewed me as an outsider and a an opposer is, you know, or I don't think they call it an apostate. They call it an apostate because I was sitting with Shane and Rachel so they could tell that I was, you know, on the dark side. But it was really weird for me because I was sitting there going, my heart's going out to you. I'm not opposed to you. I'm not against you. I can see that lots of you are really lovely people. Yep. And, and Shane said that himself and I appreciated him saying that in the interview, that lots of them are really good people. And so I think, you know, from their perspective, mm. they are taught that... Um, that the whole world is against them and that, mm -hmm. and that governments and state institutions yeah. and stuff are part of the world and are therefore part of the systems that aren't to be trusted and mm -hmm. don't have their best interests at heart. So I think for them, they see it as um, not just protecting their institution, it, it looks like that, but for them it's because their institution is this vehicle that's got God's blessing and should be protected. Mm -hmm. like, and it's, now it's being threatened by It's being threatened, yeah, yeah and so yeah, yeah they, they perceive it as they, they kind of perceive, I think, the government as having no right to kind of meddle with their affairs, which you have the same with Gloryville, right? Entirely. So now yeah. we're starting to go back to the conversation that we had right at the beginning or a question that was posed, are we saying this group is a cult? Well, we just need to let our listeners, let's just go back to some of the key features of cult groups. This us versus them persecution mentality is, it's just rampant through these kind of groups. It's actually an indicator. The way they deal with allegations of abuse, their responses, that is a massive red flag. The fact they've even gone and, and, and taken this to the High Court. Did you see Anglicans out there? Just this Did you see other groups mm. who were who were named in some of these inquiries? There were eight there were eight groups. That was I oh, was the revelation about what um, Rachel said that there were eight groups. This was not just a targeted attack on the JWs. There were eight groups that were identified as being the top That's right. the top ones. Many, from from yeah. simple from simple um, survivor. survivor stories. Mm -hmm. Just rank them. I mean, I would think that the groups that have a large number mm -hmm. internationally are going to get higher up automatically because there's just more of them. We managed to get Gloryvale in there because there was great 
effort to recognise that government wasn't acting inside the law of our, in a way that we thought was appropriate enough. And so here's this opportunity for a royal commission, and that's higher than sort of government, and they get to tell the government, and royal commissions get to inquire into government and state failures. There's a real sense in Gloraville that there has been massive state failure. Mm. And so, yeah, our engagement with the Within Royal Commission... Within No, those who've left. Yeah. Actually, yeah. no, very I, do, I do know people in there who absolutely are very happy this Royal Commission is happening. And oh, okay. they said to me, and it, it would surprise you the age of some of these people I'm talking about, mm. things like... Yeah, there has been massive state failure here. You know? So I presume there'll be people in the JWs who the, are also happy mm-hmm. that their um, faith organisation is being investigated too. I'm sure there will be. That they would w- want it to be safer for their children right. and, and a safer place for them to fellowship. Mm-hmm. And you know. But those people... I, I could be wrong here, but those people can't articulate that to the leaders of their of organisation. Because that's seen as a betrayal and a lack of trust on the leaders. A, an acknowledgement that there has been a real problem. And so right. you might have bigger groups, the, the bigger numbers, because you've got more people coming forward. Or you might, like Gloraval, have a smaller group who engaged with the commission because it was an opportunity to, to get some of this out in the open and have action. And mm-hmm. so perhaps there was some advocacy in the Jehovah Witness sphere to have more speak. I was um, I'm just reminded of the comment one of either Shane or Rachel I can't remember who said it about it was the comments about sexual practices in marital relations that the leaders have been able to be that intrusive mm-hmm. they're looking into um, how couples interact with each other so intimately which and is ironic to me that, that even married couples have to answer for their sexual practices and here here the organisation is being interrogated for their practices, it's ironic to me. That, that, right, that, like that they're happy within their own members to ask very intimate and personal mm. totally accountability Offensively. But then they, they, they take offence when an outside organisation wants to know intimate yeah. details about their organisation. Yes, yes and I'm not point. sure what the justification is for asking what kind of sexual practices you have with your well, it was spouse. Morality. It was morality. Well, it, it was that some sexual acts were considered to be immoral. Okay, so so presumably that was for the best interests of that couple. Yes, in their view. They wanted a higher standard. Yes, in their view. Right. So let's say we're asking a couple about their personal and intimate practices in the bedroom to make sure that they are being as godly as they can be. Mm-hmm. Yes. So surely the same by the same rationale that these questions are being asked by this of this organization in order mm-hmm. for them to be more godly, yes. more safe, yes. closer to God, but less I, sinning. But I guess the organisation is infallible, I guess. Well, they aren't back, able it, to yeah, make It comes errors. back to that thing of the us and them, and that mm-hmm. for them, I mean, I, the Exclusive Brethren leaders used to have a saying, they used to say the assembly is the highest court in the land. Mm. So in other words, they perceived that their, their entity and their structures and their moral code, that that was actually the highest, yeah, the, the highest law, higher than state but laws and legal systems. They would say it was God's law that was the highest, and he inferred some authority on us to be the caretakers of that. Yeah, yeah, and so it comes back to that thing of just believing that what right have the courts of the land got to do, got to dare to challenge or question them? These eight men. Yeah, yeah. Eight men? Yes, nine, I think, at present. 
But yeah, I found that was interesting, bringing it back to those culty characteristics. You know, what are they? And that, that's that's a biggie. Another one is that concept of religious freedom, and that always amuses me because you have groups saying, "Hey, hands off us!" You know, we have religious freedom, but we're trying to say it's about the rule of law. You know, and so no one, like they um, said in the court, we're, we're not trying to attack your religion or your beliefs, but interestingly enough, we're going to have these discussions where there are times when groups' beliefs, they claim those beliefs to be religious and they claim to have religious freedom, but actually what's happening is the beliefs are being twisted to keep control, and then they call it religious. And so they're actually using religion as a vehicle of control, and that is a cultic practice. Because you think of religions and faiths. How many things are there to believe? How many books in the Bible? How much information is in the Bible? Why is it that a group like maybe the Plymouth Brethren or the J-Dubs or Gloria Vale, you know, really love their top 10 verses? You go and analyse their top 10 verses that they preach about day in, day out. It comes down to the criteria of what makes a cult. It's always about, you know, we're in the world but not of the world. It's about being the highest authority in the land, God working through us. They, they have their pet doctrine, shunning people, putting people away, having no association with the world. They really preach on these over and over and over. Why do they take those 10 doctrines and not the other 3,000? However many doctrines there are, there's a lot of doctrinal beliefs and variations. It really reminds me yeah. of Lindy getting kicked out because she explored the Bible. <laughs> you don't want someone to notice all the other things that Jesus said or didn't say, actually. You don't want someone to start to use their inquiring mind yeah. to go, hang on, those things that you're talking about all the time aren't that big a deal and all this other stuff that you're missing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what you're talking about there, Liz, is that's the classic kind of definition of spiritual abuse, isn't it? When that's people right. use spirituality mm-hmm. or a faith-based belief or doctrine to abuse and to control others. And arguably, you know, there's, there's a debate going on in the wider world around is, is spiritual abuse different from emotional abuse or psychological mm. abuse? You know, there are arguments both ways, but I do think it's it's very, very powerful to claim a deity's endorsement of your rule. That does take it to another level. You know, if I say to you, you know, if I say to you, cares, do not go and do this here, or you will lose your eternal salvation forever. That that is a whole lot more powerful and controlling than just saying there's going to be some consequences in this world now. So that whole yeah mm-hmm. thing of using your sacred text mm-hmm. and your spirituality and appealing to a deity to give your mm-hmm. um, your rules. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do remember as a teenager yeah. all the stories about the other other young Christians I was uh, hanging out with who heard from uh, potential boyfriends that God had told them that <gasps> yeah. they were going to marry her and. And that actually did, you know, if you're a devout young Christian woman, that did cause you to stop and think. I've got an answer. God didn't tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's the same same practice at a smaller scale. Yeah, and so you're... Yeah, you're right. And so you go back and you look at the way doctrine is used to create beliefs, and then you get these people when their beliefs have led to practices. So we say that orthodoxy informs your orthopraxy. What you believe informs what you do. And so you look at groups, what are they doing? It's not looking too good. You need to go and examine what they believe. Yeah, what you believe. Yeah. These groups say, religious freedom, religious freedom. Mm. But what does um, you know? someone in Gloravale sat there, a leader, in the employment court and said, one of the lawyers said, you do 
recognise we have religious freedom in New Zealand, don't you? And the leader answered, yes, yes, I realise that, but we don't have freedom to practise it in, inside Gloria Vale. <laughs> I did not believe. I remember thinking, did I just hear that? So an acknowledgement that they run by a different set of rules. Absolutely, entirely, and not embarrassed by it. And just thinking about that humorous one, that brings me probably to one of my other reflections, that there was that moment in there. In criminal cases, you don't get much levity, you don't get much laughing, but you do in civil trials. And so we had times where the judge in, in the employment court also you know, let off a few quips. So when Rachel and Shane spoke about the time where the judge mentioned, they were using their argument about, you know, children, protection and care. And she said, you are aware that in the tort of law is based on um, the duty of care. You know, tort of law is based on the Christian worldview, you know, like love your neighbour. <laughs> and then you mentioned another time where you felt like the judge was sort of having a wee a retort or a bit of a snort. Yes, yes. And she, I thought, she did yeah, these judges are clips. witty. They're quick, they're clever, mm. they know their stuff. And you know what? I think they can see through these kind of groups. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what's the implication uh, for uh, uh, New Zealand, uh, mm. for other faith-based communities, if this the defence of the JWs in the High Court, if it actually succeeds? Oh, it, it's it's massive. Like, I, yeah, myself and many others up and down the country are really concerned about this. And um, it was even, you know, the judge asked the Jehovah's Witness lawyer this in court, said, um, is this going to have an impact on other faith-based groups or what's the wider impact? Mm. And they sort of said, oh, no, no, it's, it's not going to. And, um, and she actually, going back to the quipping thing, she, she retorted, she, the judge said, oh, this is all about you, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Which was quite funny, but the judge was sort of saying to them, you're thinking very narrowly here about how this is, obviously, you know, their priority is to figure Project. out how this impacts them. Mm-hmm. But the judge, of course, and the Royal Commission are deeply interested in the, the much wider ramifications. And I, and I, um, I think the, the lawyer acting for the Attorney General said at, at one point, if the Jehovah's Witnesses are included, it will have a, a small impact. Mm. But if they're excluded, the impact is going to have huge ramifications. Because, it, of course, then it opens the way for any other faith-based group, either with mm. this current inquiry or with any future inquiry Mm, mm, to mm. try and appeal on same kinds of grounds for exemption, for being Mm. investigated. And not only faith-based groups, any other group as well who perceives that they don't want to be investigated for some reason, um, that it opens the pathway for them to do that. And as we know, with any case like this, they're constantly referring back to precedents, internationally or locally, Mm. to make their arguments. And Mm. and this would be a precedent-setting case. So I think it's, yeah, I I just really hope the judge has has grasped the ramifications of this. Uh, I think they're smart. Are we putting our bets on the table? What are we going for? Oh, mate. Mm. Um, I'm I'm not bold enough. I'm going with the the judge... (laughs) Yeah, the judge. the judge. I'm going to say the judge is going to do rightly, and my belief is the judge is going to keep the Jehovah Witnesses inside the inquiry. That I'm, is my hope. <laughs> I really hope so, but I, I mean, sometimes people say it's not a justice system, it's a legal system, because yes. as we know, the justice system in New Zealand does not always deliver justice, and sometimes it does come down to the person with the most money or the most power or the best argument, not necessarily what's just. So I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm always a bit nervous. I'm looking at this and I'm just going, why? Like, I would not have even given any thought to the J-dubs until this came up. You know, not really significant (laughs) um, in the news. And they're all over the news right now. And it just makes me think, well, who are those other eight? I can can guess a Mm -hmm. few. Gloria Mm -hmm. Vale and the Catholic Church and... 
Anglican. Yeah, but I don't actually know who all they are. Plymouth they're brethren. Nice, they're, well, they're quite, they're, some of them are quiet. They're just sneaking yeah. in. Yes. And right now the J-dubs have just jumped up to my list of, of potential... Keep- very concerning abusers <laughs> because of the pro- protests. So you're saying and, and that I just it's like, backfiring on them. Absolutely. It makes me think, just eat your greens. Just yeah, eat your greens. Yeah, you know, like, exactly right. Just yeah. get in yeah. there and eat them yeah. and stop making yeah. so much fuss yeah. about what you've mm, been that's asked right. to eat. And the, the judge said that to them. She was like, what? yeah, she kind of said a couple of times those kinds of questions like, what's in it for you to get out of this? Like, what are you mm. so worried about? It, it's mm. almost that whole thing that makes it come across like you're trying to hide something. Why would you be so worried about being investigated? Such good questions. And I just want to come back to a comment you made about the judge and that sometimes we don't have, no, we don't have, we have a legal system and not justice. And I don't think any of us were trying to suggest that we have judges being bought off by rich and wealthy people, no, no. but rather that, you know, they have law to work through, there's procedures, yes. and if, if anything is even wrong in a procedural sense, what if the Royal Commission did make a bit of a muddle and a bungle and there was something left out of their initial terms of reference and now the judges, you know, there's a legal loophole there. That wouldn't be saying that we live in a corrupt justice system no. because it's groups like the Jehovah Witnesses and Gloria Vale and they love to say, oh, well, it's all just corrupt, and that's how they get away with not believing that the 20 guys sitting in prison are, you know, deserve to be there. Mm. So we, we need to make sure we don't buy into that argument. Yeah. Okay, so before we go, we just want to leave you with a couple of questions. Our listeners, what would it look like for New Zealanders in the future if faith groups in this country have the precedent of being able to avoid the scrutiny of an inquiry? Should faith groups be able to opt out of inquiries which are designed to evaluate whether or not the people that they have oversight of are being kept safe? If an organisation cares about the safety of its people and has nothing to hide around the processes it follows with regard to safeguarding, why would they want to avoid being examined by an inquiry? Mm, good, good questions, good questions. Yeah, no need to answer today, but have some think about it. We just want to give a deep and heartfelt thanks to Rachel and Shane. Mm. It's always difficult coming on a programme and talking about things that have impacted your personal life. They've got great expertise and knowledge. Make sure you're on various Facebook pages because you will actually see them um, commenting. They're great advocates in their space. Join us for upcoming episodes. We're going to be looking at one that I'm really interested in, and it's about organisations under threat. How do they deal with the threat and the scrutiny when things about their behaviour comes up in the public sphere? Uh, We hope there's something here today which has uh, been useful for you, perhaps something that makes you examine your life and maybe even groups that you're involved in. Keep listening to more episodes of Cult Chat. Head to the Plains FM website. You can find them there. You can also listen in live 1pm fortnightly. We've got the podcasts on Spotify and Apple and YouTube and various other platforms as well. And we're just so keen to see you back here and spreading the word about Cult Chat. That's right. You can find additional information in our show notes and on our Facebook page, Cult Chat. So please do tell your friends about the show and listen to our upcoming episodes. And thank you for all the support that you have been giving us so far. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. See you later. Ka kite ana. If anything in today's episode was upsetting for you and you'd like to talk to somebody, free call or text 1737 for support from a trained counsellor. Or visit the resources section on the New Zealand Olive Leaf Network website for a range of resources that might be of interest and use to you. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the speakers alone and Cult Chat does not necessarily share or endorse them. 